0: Right now on SB Nation Radio, we talk about the biggest and latest news involving cars. We call it Let's Talk Wheels. We saved the best for last. The 67 Shelby Mustang GT500. There she is. There's Eleanor. With Mike Herzing, here's your host, Matt Peralt.
1: Good Saturday morning. How are you? Welcome to Let's Talk Wheels with Mike Herzing right here on SB Nation Radio. I am Matt off. This segment will be brought to you by my great friends at Jeep. It is spring. Time to get out, get lost, and get dirty on the outdoors. Great deals on Jeep brand. Line up on the Jeep Club uh, at the Jeep Spring Clearance event. And your local uh, uh, it, it it's a beautiful weekend all over this country. Some places have some rain and some wind. But for the most part, it's the weekend, Mike. So uh, that yep. means guys in their cars, right? And you bet. And that means pe- people who may be wanting to go and, you know, it's getting to be spring, right? So the car shows are out. People oh. are starting to do... Some antique car shopping and some uh, classic car shopping. And there's some interesting news out this week for well, classic cars.
2: Well, there is. in Haggerty's, you know, is, is, the, is like the Bible for all this other good stuff. And, and Hemming's, those are the two deals that you look at. But, you know, it's like right now, you, you, you know, how many times you've watched a TV show on the weekend and it's Meekum Auction or, you know, some kind mm-hmm. of uh, in Scottsdale or it's in there? It, it just. I can sit there and look at that all day i mean it 's better than a football game. I love to watch how these vehicles and it 's amazing that far but these, yeah. <laughs> these ve- uh, well some of the football games i've seen but uh, <laughs> but the whole point is uh you know it 's just great to see how these vehicles you know I, I remember that when I was a kid, it was like three thousand dollars and now they 're you know four hundred and fifty thousand dollars for some vehicle but and we all want to do that. We all want to buy the hottest thing right now and have it to be like the you know the hemi cuda one thousand nine hundred and seventy one uh, Hemi-Cuda that sold for $4,200 and now it sells for $2.5 million. Uh, I would love that. Uh, the Shelby Well, it's kind of like baseball yeah. cards. Yeah.
1: It, it's kind of like baseball cards, right? Yeah. I mean, a a, a a Honus Wagner card, in all honesty, it's still, you know, in terms of actual value, it's worth less than a nickel. Right. But in terms of a collector's oh. what, what will a collector pay for it? A no collector kidding. will pay, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars for the right. rarity of it. So I mean a lot of these vehicles are vehicles that you know of or you've seen before, but uh, are they still in pristine condition? Are they still running incredibly well? How much work has been done to them? How much re- right. restoration has been done to them? How much original parts are on these things? You bet. You know, the, and sometimes like the ones the, yeah, go ahead. The the, the six seven the, the six seven Cobra. 40, the 427 Roaster uh, for $1.3 million. I don't know if I would pay that for it, Mike, yeah. but there is somebody out there that would pay
2: $1.3 million for a 67 Shelby. What's wild is these cars appreciate better than, than gold or stocks and things like that. But, you know, um, it just has to do with, okay, how do you pick those? How do I know what's going to be, you know, the best? Now, every, every year or so, Hemmings and all these other companies come up with an idea of their list of their vehicles that they think would be, you know, really hot 10 or 20 years from now. And um, they're talking right now, they said the Ford Shelby, Mustang Shelby GT350, the Dodge Charger Hellcat, and Nissan 370Z, the Nismo Edition. Okay, the Dodge, you know, the Dodge Charger, that's a great car. Okay, but is it going to be worth a lot? No, they make zillions of them. The Hellcat, they don't make zillions of those. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's going to be worth a lot of money. They're worth a lot of money right now. But, uh, you know, just think if you get one of those and you run across it and you can... Hold it, you know, don't screw it up. Um, it's worth going to be worth a ton of money, and it'd be great to know that, you know what I mean? I never thought about that. And there's a lot of stuff. I mean, even the '69 Camaro sold for thirty one hundred dollars. Now it sells for ninety five thousand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chrysler New Yorker Town and Country. Okay, nineteen forty eight. That's a nice, you know, grandpa's car. Twenty seven hundred dollars new. And now it's worth one hundred forty thousand. Okay, guys. I mean there's a lot of money to be had here and they don't have to be restored and perfect they want them a, they're worth more original even if they've right. got a scratch or a dent on them they're worth more like that than if they've been totally redone that's what's crazy the uh some of these vehicles that are, that are rusty and things like that are worth more than the vehicles that have been restored and i kind of struggle to understand that but that's what collectors do and they happen to know all this stuff and i don't you know this is well, it's
1: the long this. game though right i mean yeah, yeah y- You're playing the long game. If if you're going to invest in these vehicles, and and you're you know talking about cars that are 10 or 15 years old, you're holding on, or you're restoring, or you're doing this for a while. This is not something you flip quickly. It's a a, you know a car that's you buy for ten thousand today is not going to sell for a a million dollars in five years. This is a long time. Uh, How rare the car is, just like again like baseball cards or anything else that's a collectible. How rare is it? how original is it and what will people pay for it what what is it is it the desire for the public because you're meant you mentioned there are right. you know the, there are vehicles there where like you know a Dodge Hellcat is not a Lamborghini okay this is not a, a no, vehicle it's that not. you look at and go oh my gosh that car is going to be worth you know it's 200,000 now it'll right. be 500,000 in 5 years it's just what do the collectors want what's the appetite for people who are buying classic cars and obviously, right now we've got some vehicles in the '60s that are pretty darn popular. Well,
2: yeah, I've got friends that that went to high school. When I graduated early '70s, and you know they bought. You now they have the car they got. You know, as a few years old when they went were in high school, they still have it. I know, I know, five or six friends of mine that still have their cars from high school. You know, they didn't wow. sell them; they kept them. They may not be the hottest cars. They're not. They're definitely not a Hemi Cuda, but there's some neat cars. You know, I know guys that had. An old charger, '69 Chargers. I know people that had uh, the Roadrunners and uh, you know the '69 Mustangs and stuff. And if you happen to have the right model and you've kept it fairly original, it's going to be worth a lot of money. And even so, let me even, ask you a question. And, Mike. Go ahead. Let me, here, here's a question. So,
1: okay, so I'm somebody who, um, let's say, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away. Okay. And, I, and I'm going to his house, and we're going through his, my grandpa's stuff. There you go. And my grandpa has a car, right, has a car that might be, I don't know, like a 1970s, whatever. Right. How does one gauge the value? Like what would your recommendation be to somebody if they were to come across a car, a family heirloom, a hand-me-down, something comes in a will where they're left a vehicle like this? How do you find out what the thing's actually worth? What's well, the value?
2: There's there's companies called – you know, Hagerty's has, has a value guide. Um, you can also get. You know what's funny is on classic cars, insurance is is crazy cheap. I mean, I can insure hmm. uh, on my Jeep. I have a Jeep that's uh, that's seventy years old. It's a forty six model, seventy one years old. You know, insurance on that full coverage insurance for a year is like hundred and twenty bucks. You know, wow. uh, on my have for a, a, year. a have a sixty nine <laughs> Ford F one hundred insurance is like $131. I mean, full coverage for $10,000 what it's worth, you know. The F100, the Jeep is worth about 15 and that's insured for the full 15,000. And so they know you're going to take care of them. And you look around, you know there's 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 a company called the Black Book which is the used car guide. They have mm-hmm. um, they have all the lists just like the Kelly Blue Book does. This is the Black Book, okay? Uh, you can look in everywhere. Your insurance man will help you. You can also get the car appraised. There are appraisals uh, folks all over in every city in the nation. Okay, I've got a friend of mine in San Antonio that does appraisals all the time and he's went to school for it. He learns exactly. He's probably an old fart like me but mm-hmm. he's really enjoys doing appraisals and they do, you know, they spend a couple hundred dollars and you get a really nice appraisal and you can use that to help sell your vehicle. You can also sell it at, uh, there's a lot of uh, dealerships that are out there that only sp- handle used cars that are classics. Okay, they're not handle new cars. They only handle old classics. And that's all they sell. You know, there used to be one around here called the toy store. And there used to you know, there's always some kind of really cool uh, shopper out there that has nothing but hot rods and classic cars. And those guys know what it's worth. And in one part of the country, like in California, it might be worth more than it would be in Maine, you know. Right. Uh, okay. And it uh, just depends on the area. But it's great. So what's the advice? What, what, what
1: advice would you give to somebody? And obviously it's hypothetical and we're not talking about right. an actual car here. But in, in terms of when to sell, everyone always is, is kind of curious as to when do they actually if they're going to sell how do you how do you find the maximum value how do you find them in the point you
2: should be selling a vehicle well, that's, a, is that's there a, one Awesome you know, but it depends on actually if you want a lot of these people and I know I know a lot of I've probably had a hundred or 200 people with classic cars okay and I have three of them myself and you know it kind of go you hate to they're like you want to covet them you just love them you want to you know you just love these things but there is a point. That you need to sell them, okay, or you want to get something else, go to the car clubs, uh, see how it is in your area, find out the value of it, and put it up on the market. eBay is an awesome place. I bought my Jeep yeah. on eBay several years ago. They have great, and there's and it's a good setup, and you know with PayPal, it, you you don't get screwed, and it's it's a good deal. I had them ship my Jeep over to me. I got a killer deal on it. Um, but that person was ready to sell it, and I was ready to buy it, and then I was restoring it and things like that. But that's the best way. Just just get on the line, do a little research, and then find out. You know, keep an eye on it every couple of months. Just go ahead and check and see if the values jumped or dropped. It it won't ever drop really, but a lot of times it'll jump, and it's going to be a really good jump. Mm. Very very cool. All right, Mike, we got a lot to come up to come out of the program today.
1: Uh, we're going to talk Nick Kappa That's from it. Ram Trucks. We're going to get into some customization packages and some uh, new news coming out from the Ram Truck folks. We'll do that. We got our uh, automotive reviews coming up in the next segment, and then our question and answer will hit you as well. So we got a lot more to come. It's a Saturday morning, and that means it's let's talk with Mike Herzing right here on ESPNation Radio.
0: Is Let's Talk Wheels on SB Nation Radio with the car guru himself, Mike Herzing. Here's your host, Matt Carroll
1: It is Let's Talk Wheels with Mike Herzing here on SB Nation Radio. Matt Perrell with you. The segment being powered by Ram Trucks, America's longest lasting pickups, guts, guts, glory, Ram. We will talk to Nick Kappa. He is uh, from Ram Trucks PR coming up in the next segment, so stick around for
2: that. But time to review a vehicle. Michael, what were you touring around with this week? Well, I was driving a Toyota Highland which is their, you know, kind of a mid midsize little CUV, and uh, it's fun. You know, I used to be actually like the, the Venza better than the Highlander, but the Venza's gone away now, and the Highlander, they've kind of tweaked it, and it looks, it looks pretty good now. It's, it's pretty sexy looking, fun to drive. Um, it's really kind of a, a great family, build, you know, family vehicle, but they've really worked on it to give it, you know, five different trim levels. You can buy the Highlander kind of like we talked about Ram trucks. You can buy them any way you want. And the one I happened to get was the hybrid, and it was kind of the, the upper level. It was, you know, kind of limited. But um, I tell you what, it, before, for example, hybrid only had the, – the Highland only had seven seats. Well, now it's got three rows. You can go nine, nine, you know, nine people or eight people easily. Um, mm-hmm. The third row is a little bit small, but it's okay. The second row of seats, which is really cool, is they slide back and forth. So if you've got some little bit shorter pe- people in the second row, they can scooch up a little bit, and the third row has a lot more room. Or vice versa, you know, smaller. You know, we should put the little kids or the mother-in-law on the very, very back, you know. And uh, that way you can slide back there and get a lot of room in the second row. It was really nice because I was in the second row over the weekend. I was like, wow, this has got unbelievable leg room. And then the third hmm. row will fold down until you need it. It's got a lot of storage. This thing has got a lot of room in it. And uh, it's really, you know, it's kind of neat. And they've got the, um, the hybrid system and everything else is, and the powertrain is kind of the same as, the the Sienna minivan and the Tacoma, which is kind of the, a nice little powertrain. It's a V6 with a, with the hybrid part of it. So together between the two of them, it gets has you know 300 horsepower and uh, 300 and you know whatever 305 and uh, runs great and accelerates because when you first hit it, it's got the, the electric motors and the gas engine. Tell you what, it runs good. It's great. Mm. It has a sport mode and all that other stuff. Only thing I don't really like is it has a CVT transmission and and I know that's what most of the hybrids have because that's the, that way they can really optimize the power. But I just don't like. I like the shift gears. I don't want to hear it just making that little vrooming sound, kind of like a like a rubber band winds up and then it goes. Um, mm. But actually, the they have a they have the regular V six version of it that's two hundred ninety five horsepower, the three point five. But um, I really like the hybrid better, which is kind of weird. I didn't think I would, but you know, around town, if you just if you just zip around, uh, you get better fuel economy around town than you do on the highway. It's 27 miles per gallon rated on the highway and 29 in the city,
0: okay. which is different.
2: And then you first yes. start it up in the morning, it just runs on the electric motor just down the street. It's kind of cool. Matter of fact, sometimes hmm. you'll go to push the button and you go to start it and you go, it's not started. You wait a minute, wait a minute, it is because, you know, it's hmm. only electric. We're driving an electric car. It takes a little bit of, uh, you know, get yeah. used to, you know. But, you know, this is, it was a pretty nice vehicle. Um, it's got, you know, the back travel, the second row is plenty good. It's got an Unbelievably good stereo. I talk about it every time I drive a Toyota that they have some of the best audio systems. This is a JBL, and it's just so crisp, so clear. I've, been, I've driven cars that were $100,000, you know, that Jags and Mercedes didn't have as nice a stereo as this thing. Um, wow. And that's, you know, that was really good. But really, it's kind of a lot of family f- friendly Avengers, you know, uh, features, and it's got a storage shelf, which is kind of different. Okay, it does have knobs and everything else on, on the dash for the radio and things like that. Plenty of knobs, and I like that. Okay, and it still has the push button and all the the screens and the nav and all that other good stuff. But halfway around down the dash, it's got a little shelf, which is kind of cool for cell phones or glasses or something like that. As long as you don't drive like me, nothing'll fly off of it and things like that. If you drive like me, eh, probably not quite so good. But you can put all your glasses and things like that. It's got five USB ports. It's got a couple, you know, two or three 12 volt plugs. It's got you can plug and charge anything you want as you're going. I have radar detectors. You have you can have whatever you want. You can have it on there running, um, but it's got one thing that's really cool is made, Toyota's made standard on the Highlander their Safety Sense P. It's called okay. That is forward collision warning, pedestrian detection. So if it somebody runs out in front, walks out in front of you, and you're not paying attention, it'll stop you for you. It'll do it for you. Uh, if it thinks you're going to have an accident, it'll cinch up the seatbelts and it'll hit the brakes for you. Um, it's got automatic, full automatic emergency braking. It's got lane departure warning and steering assist. In other words, it's going to scoot you back in the lane when it thinks you're out of the lane. It's got automatic high beams and adaptive cruise control and all that stuff. And it really is, if you're just want to kind of veg out and drive on the highway and you're kind of bored or whatever, it'll stop you. It'll start you. It'll do. You don't have to worry about anybody slamming on the brakes in front of you when you're not paying attention. It is really pretty cool. It's not really fully autonomous, but, you know, honestly, it wouldn't take a whole lot to do it. Um it's got a 360 degree camera system where you kind of like the other company Nissan does that. And that now Toyota's got it and I think everybody should have it. It's a fun vehicle, okay? That the one I had was was basically not exactly the cheapest thing in the world and uh, it was base price at 41,000 and it was loaded up to about 44. And this is not cheap, but it's a nice vehicle if you're looking for a good family hauler, it's not a race car. Got three rows of seats and look at the hybrid version i would look at the highlander it's a great toyota highlander it's a nice vehicle they've really if you haven't seen them in the last couple of years they've really changed mm. them up and it's uh, fun to drive you know if you saw if your wife saw one you would have to buy it yeah she would she uh-huh. would love it i mean it's a great vehicle. all right
1: mike I, I i'm gonna throw a curveball at you here because yeah. I, I i've been meaning to ask you this question because we spent so much time talking about the autonomous cars yes uh and well, well friday was a pretty big uh, or kind of bad day for uber yes uh, i saw that so uber has delayed their pilot program for autonomous vehicles. Why? Yeah. Well, they had a crash. Oh, yes. And the crash happened in Arizona, uh, and it left one of the vehicles on its side. Yeah, I saw that. So it wasn't just a little fender bender here. This was a pretty big crash and a pretty significant crash. And it's making news because Uber has gone the extra step to kind of say that they're going to try to find this. uh, They want to have their vehicles with this potentially autonomous level of of service where you have a vehicle that will come pick you up and take you where you're going without a driver in the driver's seat. Oh, that's wild. This is um well, it it's a work in progress. Sure. And and we'll I think we're gonna see a lot more of these things that that, that are that are gonna come through and have problems. Um it was an Uber sport utility vehicle that had been driving. It was driving through a major uh, throughfare in the city of Phoenix. Right. And another vehicle failed to yield when turning left in yep. front of it, and the vehicles collided, causing the autonomous vehicle to roll over on its side. No serious injuries, but it does now throw up this big question, Mike. Yeah. What do you do when drivers
2: or other people on the road act erratically and do yep. things that the actual program is not set up to stop? No kidding. It's it- hard to. It's hard to to fathom how they can program a mad person or a, a dingy person or whatever uh or somebody that just doesn't yield now if you and i look at them we would probably see them we're, we're right. seasoned driver, we'll look at them and go that idiot's not going to stop i better stop but right. the machine can't do that now if it was another machine that was up against it'd be fine that's the whole deal that's one of the ways they're going to say look if there are more of these autonomous cars we'd be much better off and the way some people drive i kind of agree but yeah, so, i still I mean, like to have the control you know they've got these pilot programs going on in Phoenix,
1: Pittsburgh, and San Francisco. So they have paused all three of them right now. They're saying that they might be able to pick back up in Pittsburgh and San Francisco at some point once they get some research done. But the operations in Arizona are unlikely to resume until a gigantic full investigation goes into this as to what exactly happened. Because And and look, this is public safety, right? I mean, you have these vehicles that are out there on the road, and if they're not
2: fully tested, you are putting people's lives in in jeopardy. So I don't don't blame Phoenix for saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, but also – don't forget, the more they have these kind of things come up, the more they can program it in. So you've eventually right. you'll have everything. They need to probably go in and make sure that that, that that thing couldn't have done anything. Now, it could have been a thing that you and I would have screwed up, too. We wouldn't have seen it. I wasn't there. Right. You know what I mean? And, right. or, and if that's true, then let's rock. Okay? But if it's not and they really did something wrong, let's find a way to make it so they can anticipate stupid people. There okay. you go. I
1: agree. <laughs> All right, next, Nick Cap Nick is going to join us, talk a little Ram truck with us on Let's Start Bills with My Cursing here on Espanation Radio.
0: This is Let's Talk Wheels on SB Nation Radio with the car guru himself, Mike Herzing. Here's your host, Matt Peralt.
1: It is Let's Talk Wheels with Mike Herzing here on SB Nation Radio. Matt Perult with you on this Saturday morning. And, Mike, we get a treat. We get to talk about yeah, some Ram do. Trucks. Our friend Nick Kappa, uh, Ram Truck PR, joining us here on Let's
2: Talk Wheels with Mike Herzing. Nick, Matt, and Mike, how are you?
3: Matt and Mike, what's happening, guys? Let's talk some trucks.
2: Oh, uh, let's do it. Tell you what. You've got some new items out. Uh, you know, they're specialty trucks, and this is kind of the Jim Morrison trait, and I love it.
3: Yeah, so it, the whole idea is a factory custom look. It, something about truck owners, they really like a unique-looking truck, and, and dealers love to put in the front a lot. So recently we did a Stinger Yellow. We did an Ignition Orange Sport. We had... Uh, we had a couple other different models of Rebel Black, so anything that's like stands out and it's that factory custom look and it's all backed by Ram Engineering, they can stick it to the front of the lot. It looks like a bunch of gumballs up there. People love factory custom trucks, and, and anything we can do from the exterior with uh, 22-inch wheels to the interior with uh, colored stitching on black uh, leather that matches the exterior colors and, and the body color faces and such and the dual exhaust, it, it gives that look, and it gives you a unique look for trucks, and people like that.
2: Well, you know, you know it's good when, when you see Chevrolet trying to copy you when they have these, these special one-off models and things like that. But the best thing about the Ram doing it, and, and Jeep did it when Jim was over there, is that it's factory warranty. Everything is, is you can – if you have a problem with it, you have an accident, somebody wants to match the paint, the, the, the stitching, the, the wheels, whatever, you can get it all from the dealer. That's the best part.
3: This all started kind of – I don't want to say on accident because, well, again, it was an accident, but it started with the Ram 1500 tradesmen. Uh-huh. And what we saw was we we built this truck that you could get a six-speed and a Hemi V8 and a, basically a vocational kind of a work truck with a white white body and a black grill.
2: Yeah, and
3: it was so inexpensive you get in the thing for like twenty two twenty three grand, and so we're selling them like hotcakes and we couldn't figure out why because people were taking them and making them at a basis for a sport truck. So. We launched the Mm. 1500 Express off that platform, and it went crazy. It didn't have this high zoot interior. It didn't have leather and all the options, and it was an inexpensive truck that looked great with 20-inch wheels, body-color bumpers, and it went nuts. It really did well. We sold them in red cabs, quad cabs, and crew cabs, and eventually it just proliferated to everything. And then that, from there, it just took off into other little models that we could do, special models with, not only based on the Rebel, which has been incredibly popular Mm. for us, but also on the uh, Ram 1500 Sport.
2: Yeah, I know the Rebels become just crazy. I don't think the dealers can keep them in stock, and that is such a neat truck.
3: Yeah, the goal on that was people really like the off-road look, and you get 33-inch tires, factory air suspension with a factory lift, you get a Hemi V8, and the truck's like 43 grand. So, I mean, it's really hard to beat something that's got all those features in it with a custom interior, and right off the bat, it's all backed by Ram Trucks Engineering.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Well, yeah, Nick, in terms of, of how you guys determine what to do and when to do it, I mean, what type of research goes into that? How do you know what to design? I mean, how, how do you how, how do you gear these, these these types of trucks towards your audience?
3: Well, right now, Ram's the leader as far as off-road truck options. We've got the Rebel. We've got a 2,500 three-quarter ton off-road package. We've got, of course, the King of the Hill, the leader of all of yeah. the Ram Power Wagon. Nothing um. beats that when it comes to off-road. And if you can think about it, how many vehicles – end up down a dirt road, next to a favorite fishing spot, um, on a farm, out in the middle of a field. It's almost always a truck. So as far as miles driven and the volume of the vehicles that go through, the top spot and how many vehicles are sold in the United States, nothing does it more than pickup trucks. So it really makes sense on the off-road side for us to offer something that's pretty dedicated And the half-ton with the Ram 1500, the three-quarter ton with the 2500 off-road package, and of course, as they said, the king of the hill, the power wagon. Um, On the other side of things, if you're thinking like more of an urban-type truck and something factory custom, if you go to any kind of the auto aftermarket supply place, you're going to find that people are buying things mostly for pickup trucks. They love their Jeeps, too. Don't get me wrong. Aftermarket for Jeep is incredible. But for pickup trucks, it's tough to beat it. So if you can launch a vehicle that gives them that unique look right off the bat and they don't have to change anything, the interior is custom, the exterior is custom. Heck, we offer 22-inch wheels stock just pretty incredible on the on the sport
2: yeah you guys were the first ones to come out with 20 everybody else had 16s and 17s and you guys go ahead and jump all the way to 20 just set, that was a long time ago
3: ram's always been pretty pretty uh innovative when it came to design yeah i think if you look back at, at the 1994 truck when we first came with that that sloped hood the way we did it sure. drop down into the fenders people love that truck and we've we stayed true to that and made changes and and you have to pull that lever sometimes. That not everybody's going to like it, but if, if you can do something that yeah. makes a difference in the way the truck looks, and that's what you got to do to make sure that the people that love your brand, yeah. love RAM, continue coming to you for. Us. So we've done some things recently with the new grills on the Rebel and the new grills on the Limiteds and the, the Laramies trim levels. But um, it's the proliferation of the custom look, and and we also had a night package recently that we. We had it launched on the Ram 1500. Now it's available on the Ram 25 and 3500, the whole blacked-out look. People like the black wheels, the black grill, the black sidesteps, the black interior, even if it's a white truck, kind of like a Stormtrooper yeah. look. It, it's really popular.
2: Do not t- say that to Matt because he loves everything black. <laughs> he just loves everything. <laughs> <vehicles like that.
3: laughs> well, we do true? have a, a black package uh, on the uh, Ram 1500 and the Ram 2500, and that thing looks great.
2: You know, it's real funny. Yeah. Everybody else has square trucks, and you have good-looking ones. Everybody has little wheels. You guys have big ones. You guys seem to jump on, on just, just. you're such a, I think it's more nimble. The company's not some big-stayed vehicle like, you know, company like Ford, which is not not talking bad about Ford, but if they come up with a different grill, two or three different grills like they have now, everybody's going, oh, wow. You guys in, reinvent the truck. I mean, if, if it's new and it's better, you're going to put it on your new truck. That's the best part about you guys. Yeah, it's-
3: You've got a chance to meet some of the designers that go into it. I'll, I'll talk about Ryan Nagoti. He's a chief interior designer for a Ram truck. And I swear the guy bleeds trucks and bleeds Ram. He drives, and he's driving a brand new power wagon right now, and it's black and white. And so he, uh, but if you go inside of the interior of, say, a Laramie Longhorn or a limited truck, yep. and you take a deep breath, it smells like a brand new baseball ball glove in there. And, and it's like there's nothing <laughs> really anymore a luxury sedan has over a pickup truck in the high end category. You can get a truck now. A thirty five hundred Cummins powered four by four ran thirty five hundred for like seventy five grand, Ugh. and then they go all the way down to twenty three. So there's nothing that it occupies more trim levels, uh, interior uh, assignments, uh, powertrain changes, body configurations than a pickup truck. Nothing out there. It's like mm. the last great American standing segment.
2: Well, you know, you're <laughs> right because you can get you can do anything with those things, and you know, of course, in Texas where I met where I'm based, uh, I know the show goes everywhere, but in Texas. People use pickup trucks for you know daily drivers, and one of my favorite daily drivers is the Power Wagon. We always talk about mm. that, that is the Big Daddy, and that's awesome.
3: Yeah, it, it's, it, there's some features that I don't think everybody recognizes that are on it. To get that truck into a situation where it's stuck yeah. and, and you're having a hard time getting out of it, you're pretty much destroying the whole body, because it's going to take pretty much washing machine-sized boulders to stop that truck from continuing going forward, and even then... You just unspool that 12,000-pound winch and yank yourself on out of it. But it's great for towing your buddies out, I'll tell you that.
2: Well, you know, I I first saw a power wagon at at a dealership I worked at in the 70s. And the guy comes up from – he lived in Michigan. He moved down to Texas and to uh, work at a dealership. And he had this power wagon. I said, what is that on the front? He goes, that's a plow. I I used to – I plowed snow every weekend, you know, every other day and every morning and things like that, and on weekends and all stuff. I said, you're kidding. He said he had like 250,000 miles on his vehicle, all plowing snow. I said, well, you probably won't find that in Houston. Uh, Yeah, That's not going to happen. (laughs) So he ended up selling it, but it was selling the the plow. But he kept the truck, and it was just, like, amazing. This thing was just, it's in great shape. They just, you can't kill them.
3: Yeah, what you will find in Texas, though, is somebody's got to take that thing out in the middle of a flash flood to repair a fence. And he's going out by himself. That's the truck you want to go out in the middle of nowhere and get back, and it's all relying on you. It's the biggest tool in your toolbox, man. Front and rear lockers a factory lift kit, factory 33-inch tires, that thing sits way off the ground. Anytime I go to pick up friends and such, and they're always asking me, how do people get in this truck? It is it is yeah. absolutely set with front and rear departure angles and ground clearance for that kind of environment. It's set up to mm. get you back home, even if you have to unspool that winch.
1: Wow. All right, Nick, if, if folks want to get more information on, on either these custom packages or on uh, a power wagon or everything to do with Ram trucks, where can they find more info?
3: Man, you got to get to ramtrucks.com. And there's actually some cool information there, not only a build your own site, but also a, a, a towing guide. So let's say you know what you want to tow and how much weight it is. You can actually mm-hmm. build your truck around that and then go and see if it has the capability to do that and make changes to it in the option strategy to figure out what truck you're going to get.
2: So back into it. Mm-hmm. That, that's a great idea. Matt, tell you what, we've had a great time with him. Nick, appreciate you showing up today.
3: Good guys, appreciate you having me.
2: All right, that is is Nick Kappa, the Ram Truck PR guru
1: himself, joining us here on Let's Talk Wheels here on, on a Saturday morning. We have our question and answer segment, questions for you guys in the audience for Mr. Herzing. We'll do that next right here on SB Nation Radio.
0: This is Let's Talk Wheels on SB Nation Radio with the car guru himself, Mike Herzing. Here's your host, Matt Parole.
1: It is Let's Talk Wheels with Mike Kersing here on Esplanation Radio. This segment being brought to you by our friends at Nissan, Nissan Trucks, NissanUSA.com. For more information, Mike, let's get right to the questions here. And we're going to start with Ralph, who wants to know uh, what you should look for when buying a used car for his college-bound daughter. He's got fifteen k to spend, wants a two-year-old Camry, Altima, or another compact-sized car. Uh, or should you be looking for a brand-new car in, in, in a subcompact uh, category, like a Nissan Versa, Chevy Spark, or a Hyundai Accent? What would you think is the
2: best way to go here? Well, so you've got a young daughter that's not quite yep. there yet, and I've had kids that have already gone through that, and I can tell you, um, I think I would probably, you know, 15000 you can get a nice entry-level compact or subcompact vehicle like the Nissan Versa, awesome vehicle. Mm-hmm. Really fun, especially the Versa Note, which is the little – hat. Not it's not the sedan. It's the hatchback. A lot of room. It's like a truckster. You know what I mean? You can do so much with it. I wouldn't mind owning one. They use them for taxis. They're so tough, okay? Mm. You can get those for way less than 15 okay, or just, you know, probably at least 14 Loaded up, really nice. Chevy Spark, that's a nice vehicle. Um, kind of small, but it's okay. A Hyundai Accent, uh, that's nice, too. You can get all either one of these things. Uh, I think I would rather have a new vehicle – Rather okay. than something that, you know, because it's a new driver. New drivers are not real easy on cars for some reason. And um, I think it's better to have a warranty for the first couple of years because you're, if you you buy something that's a couple of years old, it's almost out of warranty or out of warranty. And then you're right. going to have to have more money and more money and more money. At least if when you buy something new, you're, you're, you know, your costs are pretty fixed unless they wreck it. You know what I mean? Everything's right. going to be for the first three years, 36,000 miles. Or if it's the Hyundai, you know, uh, Ten years, or you know, six years, sixty thousand miles, or the ten-year warranty. Um, so that, will you know, I would kind of look at those. But I love the Nissan Versa; I think it's a great vehicle. What about a used mm-hmm. Subaru Legacy? You know, that wouldn't be bad, um, but it would be, it would be once again, it would be several years old. It's not that they're yeah, a bad car at all.
1: Two or three years old, though, right? Yeah,
2: I mean, that, I mean, they, they, they book at about twenty-two,
1: right? So you probably can get a used one, a couple, two or three years for, for probably right. for fifteen thousand.
2: You could also get a you know a, one of the Jeep Patriots or Compass, you know, one of those. That, you know, that's oh, a year or So you so old, but it, once again, you're getting a car that's used instead of brand new. Not new, right? You know, yeah. Especially you send them off to college, you don't want to have to go over there and fix it for them. That's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the warranty know.
1: definitely is a, is a yeah, big deal. Yeah, that's a big deal. All right, let's go to Karina. Uh, just bought a 2017 Cherokee. I'm jealous. Yeah, she loves it wants to know if she could change her oil at 4,000 miles instead of her 10-year-old car's 3,000 miles. She does use the premium oil, she, and this is a great question, too. She's heard that at, say, people say 3K, some say 7K. She lives outside of Atlanta, travels all highway miles for work. What do you think?
2: Well, I think she I – wouldn't, I wouldn't go 7. I really don't. I just feel really weird about that. And Atlanta's not exactly cool in the summertime. I would probably go 5, you know, and then if the oil looks really clean – and then, you, you know, bump it up to six. Oh, but I wouldn't probably go over six. If it, you know, it's me. I just It's not that expensive, and it's just such great insurance. You know what I mean? Um, that's what I would do. Now, if he wants, she wants to go seven and try it and the oil's not horribly filthy, you know, who knows? But I would kind of ease up to it at first. I would probably do it at – I'd probably go five, and if it doesn't look too bad when she goes to change it and it's not low, then, okay, fine. I'll Next time I'll try to go in six. and yeah. Or maybe do six in the winter or seven in the winter and six in the summer or something like that, because summer months are much – it's a lot harder on, the, you know, harder on the oil. So I think the problem right. would be better for I'm not going to give a
1: free plug for the product, for yeah. the brand that's going to do this, but let me ask you about the new 20,000-mile oil that's being advertised everywhere now. Yeah. Are you a believer in this, that no. you could actually go 20,000
2: miles with a premium oil? You can always go. I mean, the oil is always still good, even at 7,000 miles. It's just filthy. The problem is what oil does, it surrounds dirt and carries it, Okay. And what happens if you, if you leave it in there, it's just going to drop the dirt off in the engine. It still has, you know, it still can lubricate. It still has all those properties. It still works. But the problem is it's crazy filthy. If we could find a way to, to you know, put it in a centrifuge and clean all the dirt out of it and put it back in, it would probably work fine. That, uh, the oil still works. That's not my problem. Is My problem is how filthy it is. Here I am in Texas. It's so dusty and it's so hot. That the oil just carries all this dirt, and how we get rid of the dirt out of the engine? We drain the oil out. Okay, that's hmm. how we get the oil out. Is the oil really worn out? No, it's really not. But it's filthy, and that's the problem. They used to say you could just change your filters. If we had a good enough filter system, you know, you you probably could. I remember years and years ago they had these weird tissue paper filters that you would add to your car, and they really worked. They'd keep your oil crazy clean, and as long as it doesn't hurt the flow of oil. I think a really good filter would be awesome, and you might be able to stretch it some. But I, I don't – 20 just scares me, you know? just
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're advertising as 20,000 – they're advertising as change your oil once a year. And yeah, I, I mean – That's a lot. It just seems – yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems a little bit. I don't. I want to say far fetched, but it does seem a little bit. You
2: can do out it. There. I mean, technically, you can do it if it was in a perfect world. You're in Northern California, and it's a perfect, or Vermont or something, and it's just no dust, and it's no heat, and there's no humidity, and you're not going stop and go driving. Yeah, you might be able to do it. I've seen people go ten or twelve on regular. Yeah, road. I'm going. Yeah. I,
1: I I go with. I do a full synthetic on our Equinox. And yeah. I do I do five thousand miles.
2: Yeah, that's and, and that's awesome. You could go actually go to six if you wanted. to.
1: Yeah, I, and I'm not. I, I go to five, but I don't stress if it's yep. a little bit. If, if, if you right. go a little higher than yep. that, um, it's interesting. It, 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 it is funny that there are people, you know, and this is not really a knock on, on on people who are trying to do do their job, which is sell people stuff. But I I was at a shop and I was getting it. Changed and he, the person that was he said that he asked me, he said, Why are you doing this this way? And I just said, I don't need to change my oil every 3,000 miles. Just because you put a sticker in my window that tells me I'm supposed to come back every every 3,000 miles doesn't mean I have to, right? (laughs) And so he's kind of like, Oh, yeah, I guess so. So yeah, just kind of like, I I get it, but you don't have to. If you have full synthetic, you can go longer than 3,000 miles, right? You can absolutely. All right, you can go to letstalkwheels.com. You can send a, a, a note to Mike if you'd like to have your question answered next week on Let's Talk Wheels with Mike Herzing. You can also listen to the full podcast there as well from for previous shows in case you missed any part of the program. Mr. Herzing, have a phenomenal week, my friend. You too, big guy. Have a good one. We are back next week right here on Estimation Radio for Let's Talk Wheels with Mike Herzing on Estimation Radio.